1: You know, folks, we've been going through this series, we've started a few weeks ago, this is actually our fourth lesson now, in looking at 1 Thessalonians and looking at the issue of faith in uncertain times. And the reality is, is that we live in uncertain times, do we not? I mean, if if you look at what's going on in the world, the world is changing quickly. And the world, to be very honest with you, it's changing as far as, as far as in our country, it's perception of Christians and those who come to church. You know, there was a time when it was very acceptable. People wanted to be involved in a church, in a community. The reality is, is that's not true anymore. In fact, it's been coming for a long time. I don't know if you realize that, but only 40% of the 80,000 people who live in Clearfield County go to church. Only 40%. And that's not necessarily every Sunday. Do you understand what I'm saying? Only 40% of those who live in Clearfield County even go to church. So more and more people are not going to church, and it's becoming less acceptable to be in church. And so when you look at what's going on in the community, it seems like, when you look at what's going on in our world today, it seems like things are happening quickly and it's changing. So how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to to respond in this kind of world that we live in. And folks, it's going to continue to change. And you need to realize that. So what we've been doing is, is we've been looking at First Thessalonians to a church that was troubled by so many different things, that was living in a time of turmoil, and the Apostle Paul is trying to bring them encouragement and to correct them in certain ways. So we've been looking at this, trying to glean from it information to help us as far as living in these uncertain times. And today, we're going to look at the issue of gospel relationships. Now, what in the world is that, George? Is that a new word that you came up with? What is that, gospel relationships? Well, remember, we talked about sharing the gospel, and we talked about the impact of the gospel in our lives on a personal level and then on a social level. But we're going to take it one step further and see that the gospel when you respond to the gospel, you immediately enter into relationships with others who have responded to the gospel. Another way to talk about that is that you become a part of the church. Did you understand what I'm saying? Part of the church. And what we see today is that if you and I are going to exist in uncertain times, if we're going to have faith in uncertain times, you can't do it alone. Did you hear what I'm saying? You can't Do it alone. You need to have somebody around you supporting you in these times of uncertainty. You understand what I'm saying? You need to have somebody around you in these times of uncertainty. You need to have gospel relationships. Because, And and I'll be honest with you, that's probably new to us. It shouldn't be. But it's probably new to us. Why do you say that, George? Well, we live in such a country that right now it's all about individualism. It's all about what you can achieve, what you can do. Don't rely on anybody else because nobody else cares about you. you got to do it for yourself because if you wait for others to do it for you, you're going to be waiting forever. But I'm going to tell you, folks, when it comes to the New Testament, you're going to see that the key thing for you and I is this. You are to live the Christian life, yes, but you can't do it alone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me say that again. You're to live the Christian life, but you can't do it alone. So that's why the writer of Hebrews would say something like this in chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves as some are prone to do. Don't make getting together with God's family a trivial thing and just an option. As some people are wanting to do. You need each other. You need the time together. In fact, I would say it this way. When you think about church, some of you, this is going to be radical. You're going to need to change your thoughts on this. When you think about coming to church, it's more than a service. You've got to put that in your mind. You may want to write that down. Church is more than a service. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church is more than a service why because when you get together it's not about listening to me speak it's not about singing the songs with the band it's about connecting with people in order for you to grow and to be encouraged in spite of the difficulties that you're facing in these uncertain times do you understand what i'm saying so you want to know what church is about Church is more than just a service. Here's an example of what church is about. Church is about four or five guys gathering on a cold Saturday morning to change oil in people's vehicles in our church who need their vehicles maintained but maybe can't afford to get the oil in the filter. That's church. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's using your ability to help somebody else in the church because you're there for them. You want to make sure their vehicle is running during the winter. That's church. Did you understand what I'm saying? Church is more than just a service. And if we're going to live in uncertain times, you've got to have a place that you can come to where you feel accepted and you know that people will encourage you when you face the stuff that you're facing. So let me ask you a question before we look at the text. Do you guys go through stuff each week? Do you guys go through stuff each week? What do you mean go through stuff, George? Well, is there stuff that happens that weighs you down? Stuff that discourages you. Stuff that zaps the energy out of you. Does that stuff kind of happen to us? Or are you perfect here that everything is hunky-dory in your life, nothing goes wrong? Who can raise their hand? Nothing goes wrong. We want to see who you are. Tell us your secret. And it can't be that you never get out of bed. Because the reality is, So, okay, we're all here, we got our stuff, so let me ask you something. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Do you carry it yourself? You weren't meant to carry it. When you carry it yourself, can I be honest with you? You, you, you aren't meant to carry it. So what happens is, is you've got to deal with it somehow. So the ways that we deal with it are innumerable, but they're very much, there are consequences for it. We try to deal with it, maybe some of us with food. Try to deal with it with alcohol or even drugs. We try to deal with it in other ways, maybe we try to bury it, but I'll be honest with you, trying to bury it doesn't work because it comes out Comes out in what ways? In anger, frustration, attitudes, grumpiness. How are you dealing with it? The way to deal with it is to come to a place where you know there are people there who are struggling just like you, nobody's better than anybody else, and they're there to encourage you to continue on and persevere. That's church, folks. That's gospel relationships. So let's look at what the Apostle is telling us here in this letter. He's going to talk about himself and his concern and his love for the Thessalonians. And from this, we're going to draw out some things that we can learn about gospel relationships in our lives. And hopefully it will impact our church. Look with me at verse 17. But we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. I, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take these four verses, and we're going to divide them up into three sections. We're going to see commitment. We're going to see Paul's commitment, the issue of commitment in our gospel relationships in verse 17. We're going to see opposition. The fact of the matter is, is not everybody's going to be happy with you having a place to come to relationships that you can come to to strengthen you in your Christian life. We're going to see opposition. And then we're going to see perspective. We're going to see the perspective that we need to have as to why it's so important for you and I to have these gospel relationships. We're going to see that in verses 19 through 20. So let's look, first of all, at the issue of commitment. Look what he says in verse 17. But we, brethren, haven't been taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. What's he saying here? Number one, they become a part of you. The interesting thing that should happen with gospel relationships is that they become a part of you. That they become a part of you. That when you are not here, or when you are not with those gospel relationships in your life, something is missing. Do you know what I mean? That something is missing when you are not with the people who love you and care for you and who are a part of the assembly that you belong to. That's what is important about the gospel relationships. How can you say that, George? Well, look at what Paul's saying here. It's very interesting. Look at what he says here. But we, brethren, haven't been taken from you for a short time. The actual, in, in, in the original language there, it's talking about the word about being taken from you means to be orphaned. It means to be ripped from them. It's, it's a, it's, it's an expression of anguish and pain because they, the Thessalonians, were such a part of his life. And they were taken from him through some circumstances that happened. They had to leave Thessalonica there and leave the believers alone. And it was something that was forced upon them to do. And it was, and it caused great pain to Paul because they were a part of his life. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were a part of his life. That's what gospel relationships are. That's what gospel relationships are. And so here's a question for you. When you think about your life right now, your walk with Jesus, is there somebody who is a Christian or some Christians in your life that are such a part of your life that you've got to be with them? Because you know that when you get with them, they'll encourage you, they accept you for who they are, and they want what's best for you. Is that true for your life? If it's not true for your life, you need to be asking for that. You need to be seeking that out. In fact, if most of us here would say, well, that's not true for my life, then there's a problem with our church. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. Because church is more than a service. It's got to be more than just a service. It's connecting with others so that they are a part of your life to encourage you and to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus. So much so that when you're not here, something's missing. If you've got a mamsy-pamsy attitude about being with a church family, it's not real to you. If on a Sunday morning you get up at 8 o'clock and you look at the alarm clock and you say, well, you know, I guess I could go to church today, uh, but there is this other thing. I think I'll do that. If it becomes, if church just becomes one of the many options, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Because you should get up in the morning and say, I gotta be there because that's where people love me, that's where people care for me, and if I'm not there, something's missing! Don't you want to be a place like that? That's gospel relationships. That's the commitment. Paul said, I was stripped away from you! I left you orphan, not because I wanted to that's commitment here's what else he says: There is a desire to be with them. look at what he says, verse seventeen, having been taken away from you in presence, but not in heart endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Paul's saying, you know, I was taken away from you, but there was this consuming desire that just burned within me to see you, so I did whatever it could to come back to you. That's what he's saying here. He had a desire to be with them. Is that true in your life? That you have a desire to be with God's people? Because you know no matter what happened to you during the week, there's at least one place that you can go that you know you're accepted. There's at least one place that you know where people will love you and put their arm around you and encourage you, not beat you down. Do you know what I'm saying? There has to be a desire. Can I be honest with you? I think that we've made it so much just an institution and a service that we've robbed ourselves of the true meaning of what it means to be an assembly of God. An ecclesia, the word that is used to mean church. It means assembly. We've robbed ourselves from the true meaning of what church is. We want to be such a place. Excuse me, not a place. We want to be such a people. When we talk about church, we're not talking about a place. We're talking about people. We want to be such a people that people, their hearts burn within them because they think, man, I've got to be there with the people who care for me. That's commitment. That's what we see here in the Apostle Paul's life. A desire To do it. And so that brings up the next point here. You'll do what it takes for them. You'll do what it takes for them. Look at what he says there. In presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face. Endeavored, that means effort was made to see your face with great desire. He was willing to do what it takes for them. Now that's radical. Because you know what? I am an outsider to your culture here. I am even though I've lived in in this culture longer than I've lived anywhere else. But one of the things I notice about our culture here in in, in Clearfield County is is that we are clan-oriented. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you know who your family is, your extended family, and you'll do whatever you can for them. Do Do you know what I'm saying? I've never been in an area where a family reunion is more important than anything else. Even though you don't like who you're eating your burger with, you'll still go to the family reunion. You know what I'm saying? Because you're clan-oriented. Now, that's as far as it goes. You'll do whatever for your clan. Forget it for anybody else. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're on their own. Their own clan should take care of them. And if they're on the outs with their clan, bully for them. But what we're talking about here is is got to have a church where people are willing to do whatever it takes For each other. That's commitment. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for each other? So that, I'm not talking about just for the Sunday. So like you hear somebody's down and hurt and they can't do something, are you there calling up and say, hey, can I help you with that? Can I sacrifice my time to help you in that area? That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about commitment. That's what's important about gospel relationships. But here's the thing. Paul tells us in verse 18, there's opposition. Look at what he says in verse 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. In fact, this is an interesting verse because very few times in Paul's letters does he take up The statement himself to, to reiterate a point. He normally, he normally wrote his letters through others. He had somebody write it for him. But here he wants to make the point to them that it wasn't just that he wanted to send people to check on them. He wanted to go there. But the problem was is there was opposition. And so here's what I want you to see. We have an enemy. We have an enemy you know, for all this talk that we about what we want to be as a church and about being there for other people and about doing what it takes for each other and having a desire to be there, you've got to recognize that not everybody's happy about that and especially one person, Satan, is not happy about that. And he will do what it takes to hinder us, to hinder you from finding and being the church that you need to be. You've got an enemy. In fact, can I, can I stop for a moment? Cause, you know, here's, here's reality. I mean, we, we, we've learned this long ago, Lori and I. You know, some of you in your relationships, you're, you're mad right now at the other person. Cause they haven't changed. And it doesn't seem like they are changing. Excuse me. You haven't changed either. Okay. And, and the reality is, is that you think it's just you and him, or her and her, blah, 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 boom, boom, button heads. Or it's mom and child, button heads, or dad and child, button heads. Or maybe you're even in the church and you're irritated with somebody else. It's like, what's the deal with that person over there? And, and you're button heads. Can I explain something to you? Not everything is from you. There is somebody else who's provoking it. And here's what I want you to understand. You have a real enemy. Listen to me. You have a real enemy. And write this down. He wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your church. Write that down. He wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, and your church. That's how real he is. And it's time for us to wake up to the fact that we have an enemy who does not care about you and I, who wants you and I to be dead, and who wants to destroy everything about your life, and so he wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your church. And Paul is saying here, you know, I had this great desire, and oftentimes I would try to come and see you, but I was hindered. And he doesn't say, oh, you know, we had a flat tire. Oh, I got sick. No, no, he puts it right where the blame belongs. Satan kept me from seeing you. Realize that. I mean, Paul would tell us in Ephesians that we don't just wrestle with flesh and blood, but that we, what, wrestle against powers, principalities, powers of the air. It's real. Here's the second thing I want you to see about the opposition. He will oppose our every effort. He'll oppose our every effort. Because the reality is, is he does not want you to be encouraged. He does not want you to be strengthened. He does not want the church to become what the church is supposed to be. So he's going to oppose us. So how's he going to oppose us? Lots of different ways. Maybe not providing the finances to function. Maybe sickness. Maybe causing strife within the body over some silly issue. Have you noticed that? Whenever you talk about a fight in a church, it's always, it's not about something important. Have you noticed that? We make it important, but it's always about something what? Insignificant and silly. But we blow it out of proportion. He will do that. He will seek to oppose us in every way. Folks, you need to realize that he doesn't want you to grow. You know, here's the thing. We've talked about this several times over the last few months. A lot of you expressed the desire to want to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. To go deeper. Well, he'll oppose you. He'll oppose you. Folks, have you noticed that? He will oppose our every effort. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he's going to oppose us at every capacity, from the person who listens to the person who teaches. Because he doesn't want to see it happen. See, that's opposition. Do you understand? If you're going to have gospel relationships, it's wonderful. You want them. But recognize when you start pursuing them, you're going to have opposition in your life. So then we come to verse 19 to 20, and he gives us a perspective. Let's look at what he says there. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Here's what I want you to see about perspective. If you and I are going to pursue gospel relationships, we need to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul when it comes to others, when it comes to our fellow believers, when it comes to the folks that we gather with at the church. And so there's three things I want you to see here. First of all, it's not selfish. You can't have a selfish attitude when it comes to church. You can't show up here and say, well, I wonder who's going to meet my needs, and I don't really care for this place because nobody cares for me. As long as you're focused on yourself, you're never going to get it. Never. It's got to be more than that. Paul's attitude was not about himself. He was thinking in terms of eternity. And notice what he was thinking. He's not thinking in terms of what he was going to get. He was thinking in terms of them. Everything was about others. That's the key. You've got to write that down. That's the key to a good church is it's not about ourselves. It's about others. The key to a good church, it's not about ourselves. It's about others. The minute we start thinking about ourselves, folks, we will begin to die. And, man, that has been so true in the history of our church in 75 years. When we turned inward, we died. It's always got to be about others. It's got to be about everybody else here. It's not selfish. Here's the second thing. Our hope is our collective presence before Jesus. That's our hope. Look at what he says there. I think this is amazing. What is our hope, our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Look, Paul says, you want to know what my hope is? You want to know what my joy is? You want to know what my reward is in heaven? That's what he's talking about, the crown of rejoicing here. You want to know what brings me great joy one day when I go to be before Jesus? Look at what he says there. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? He says, my hope, my joy, my reward is seeing you there. Our hope is the collective presence before Jesus. You know, I'm realizing that. I'm getting older, smarter as a pastor, realizing that a lot of things in my early years of ministry were wrong. And in my early years of ministry, it was all focused on what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I achieving? What am I doing for the Lord? Blah, blah, blah. You know what, I've come to the conclusion that that was all wasted, all stupidity, all wasted effort and time. And I've come to a greater conclusion now, to be honest with you, the greatest reward for me is one day when we stand before the throne, I can look around and see you there. And we can all give each other a high sign and say we made it. We'll be in the Kerwin'sville Christian corner. Do you know what I mean? That's perspective. Perspective isn't selfishness. Perspective is saying, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to encourage you because one day when I'm with the Savior, I want to look around and see you right there with me. Isn't that a different perspective? That's the perspective he has here. And look at the final thing. True fulfillment is found in gospel relationships. Look at what he says there, verse 20. For you are our glory and joy. Here's what, here's what the text is telling us here. You know what, here's the thing. So many times we want to do stuff for fulfillment. We want to find fulfillment. We can't find fulfillment in our work. We can't find fulfillment in our, in our, in our marriages necessarily or in our families. We can't find fulfillment in our successes. If you're trying to find fulfillment in your successes, you're, you're heading down a path that, you know what, it's, it's endless and never fulfilling because with every success, You're not satisfied. You know what I'm saying? So, if I get that big buck, I'll be satisfied. Really? You got the big buck. How satisfied are you? You're looking for the next size up. True fulfillment, he's saying, is found in gospel relationships. You want to find true fulfillment? Do you really want to find true? I want to find true fulfillment. Do you want to find true fulfillment? Here's where we're going to find true fulfillment, in being the people God wants us to be for each other. That's where fulfillment is. That's where our, where our, our joy and our glory is, is in the relationships here.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. This coming week.